In this world, obviously, with AI, everything has got bias in its raw data. It's how do we reduce that and make it minimal in the aspect that we try to approach it for, integrate it to a, something, harness it to a, 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 the right power that it can exhibit. Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next-level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. If you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. On this episode, we learn from Anuraj Gambia. Anuraj is a futurist, speaker, consultant, and educator advising startups and corporates on the state of technology. He has worked in senior executive roles across the mobile ecosystem, spanning five continents for major companies, including Siemens, Ericsson, uh, GSM Association, and far more. He is founder of Wise Mirror and expert faculty for Singularity University. You can find more on his work at anuraj.io, that's A-N-U-R-A-J.io. And in this uh, conversation, uh, Anuraj says insights on Wise Mirror, technology for spirituality and how the Indian tradition emerges with technology to amplify our potential, the state of neurotech and delving deep into there, and his idea of bliss mode. So keep listening to learn from Anuraj's great insights. Anuraj, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Ross. Thank you so much, Ross. So one of your uh, many initiatives is Wise Mirror, and I'd love to hear uh, a little more about what that is. Sure. So Ross, that um, Wise Mirror really came about from the term of White Mirror, which was the, which I'd say a sub uh, format. And it's really where we flipped initially the, uh, you know, Black Mirror, which is that Netflix series I'm sure you've seen that really is uh, very powerful, but unfortunately too dystopian for the layman. And it's where, you know, you've got technology being utilized in, in many different formats, but in, in unfortunately a negative way in most cases, but it does open your mind up in so many ways. And we sort of flipped it to a more, you know, hyper-positively sort of uh, orientation and called it White Mirror, where we really wanted to manifest through interactive multimedia, you know, storytelling to story showing, really trying to see how could we use uh, science fiction and really align ourselves with the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals, the 17 of them. And then actually we've been working on one called 18 around cohabitability, which is really where humanity and spirituality intersect. But Wise Mirror really is uh, a broad manifestation. It's a philosophy, one could say a mindset. And really we are a community of global conscious leaders who sort of come together and ponder on 
many big areas like AI, of course, that we've been talking about, um, which we flipped to something called intelligence augmented. And now we've been working on a sort of a broad vision of AWI, which is augmented wise intelligence. So, you know, with Wise Mirror, really, it's about that flip from scarcity to abundance, from B to V, from darkness to light, fear to or hatred to love, uh, from isolation to connection, and really from being a watcher to a participant. So I think it's about an interactive, immersive element of how do you, um, you know, how one person can really help change the world. <laughs> yes, indeed. And as we can be amplified in so many ways uh, today with technology and uh, crowds and many other things, in fact, uh, you know, one person can change the world more, far more than ever before. Yes. So the, the technology is giving us power. So I'd love to hear uh, perhaps some context for, for this and, like, you know, dig in a little bit more into yeah. how we can make that uh, the reflect ourselves in a, in a wise mirror, but perhaps part of your journey. So you come from uh, a land of uh, spirituality and uh, where there's uh, perhaps some deeper perspectives of consciousness. And I would love to yeah. hear how that is interwoven with your path as a technologist, because you work a lot with with uh, wearables in particular and how you know we directly interface with technology but also uh, more uh, spiritual traditions so I'd love to hear a little bit how the the background to how that's developed sure so you know I grew up in the foothills of the Himalayas in beautiful amongst beautiful nature uh, up to the age of 15 and then I moved to Australia um, you know I did my HSC here and um, it was really the upbringing in terms of why I would say my mother has been very spiritual and made us, you know, brought us up in a very uh, wide, broadened sort of aspect of how spirituality sort of impacts us as being a human being with all the key traits of empathy and gratitude and unconditional love and all those things, which is kind of what we imbibe in Wise Mirror. And then, you know, from my dad's side, actually, who's been a deep technologist, <laughs> he ran a big electronics sort of industry in India. And it was really those two coming intersecting for me together, those worlds, and, and you know, immersing myself and and sort of living that in my own career, which I grew in telecoms and mobile technology in designing and uh, mobile devices. The early stage of I sort of the transition from mobile phones to smartphones and really seeing how we are truly learning from these uh, as technologies enabling us to amplify us and help us become better and become more productive and, and efficient in many ways. But at the same time, being mindful about how technology, how we do need to take that detox and actually take a pause very often. And I think that's where the spiritual thinking really comes in, saying technology is just an enabler. I mean, it's really speaking, it's neutral. Of course, it you know can be used for the good, but also we've seen the Black Mirror side, but it's how do we flip that super good element of it, but also make sure that it's truly, we don't get too bogged down with it and that it really helps us to do the particular work. But at the same time, we sort of, collide those worlds to make it a meaningful living reality for us to uh, come back in the in the world where you know we've um, used it but we've actually gone beyond it in in, some, in many ways <laughs> so, so what what are the, some some of the other ways in which you've i suppose tapped the depth and diversity of india's traditions of consciousness yeah so i'd say let me uh, give a saying in sanskrit or actually punjabi where, you know, when we're talking about your, you know, the Saptifying Cognition, which is really an amazing podcast and initiative that you're running, it's, there's a saying called Man Jite Jagjit, which really says, we win over your mind, you win over the world. 
And I think that's where we're really seeing, as you talk about humans and AI and this new sort of technology uh, enhancement and, you know, obviously the the journey that I've had, um, you know, having grown up in India, but then moved to Australia, but then I lived and worked in 20 other countries around the world, 10 years in Europe and North America, uh, back in India and Africa, which was really awakening for me in terms of the grassroots innovation and something called Jugaad, where we really use the minimum resources to create maximum value. So it's something called reverse innovation also in the West. And it's way of frugal innovation, where I think there's amazing learnings of how do we use the most crude and basic intelligence and, and take that to amplify a task that we're doing and, and really uh, you know be able to fulfill something in, in a much more efficient way. So I'd say technology has definitely helped a lot in, in many ways. But at the same time, it's how do we use those different types of intelligences and really eventually coming down to emotional being a very key one. But, you know, I say we talk about that progression from PQ, your physical quotient, to your IQ, to EQ, to SQ, which is spiritual uh, quotient or intelligence, to an AQ, which is really that adaptive, contextually driven intelligence. And then we've got many sub-aspects of that where we, um, you know, talk about, say, fluid intelligence or, or other types of um, aspects like, um, uh, you know, the multiple intelligence models really that are out there. Uh, social intelligence is a key part of it. But I think it comes down to creativity at the end. How do you become and tap that creative intelligence with original ideas, insights, and coming up with really um, meaningful solutions? Fantastic. So so how, so turning a little bit more to the technologies, and I think we'll sort of interweave some of these themes of the, uh, you know, the spirituality or the broader consciousness with technology. So one of the domains in which you are a deep expert is uh, neurotech. Right. So, so I'd love to, to hear more about some of the technologies that you are using, some of the ones you are excited about, what's out there, and uh, the tools that people can use to, uh, to you know, use neurotech to enhance their thinking. Sure. So neurotech or really the, the brain-computer interface, or many refer to it as the BMI, it's really been a, a bunch of technology that has come together in, in the most simple ones. And the company that I worked closely with called Neurosky from the very early days, who've been pioneers in EEG or electroencephalography, which is really reading your brain waves, your alpha, beta, delta, gamma waves, and being able to sort of present them in a analytical form to say how attentive you are, how focused you are, and on the other end, how meditative or relaxed you are. And when we got both these sort of areas, you're sort of getting into the zone or into the into the flow state. And that is very powerful in terms of when you measure it. So I think with, with the wearables, what we've really seen or with the whole movement of quantified self is what you measure, what you can you know analyze, um, you can change. And um, there's so much in terms of metrics that you can collate and build up a sort of a dashboard for your holistic well-being. And we've seen that with neurotech, there's just so many immense possibilities to look at how with, you know, from your neocortex, from your prefrontal cortex, really where you're measuring the, the different waves, being able to move from these different states of beta, alpha, theta, uh, and delta is really a deep sleep. But what we did is in India, actually, you know, tinkered with something and we created a experimental um, zone called iZone, or really imagination, kind of an imagination thinking lab using uh, neurobiofeedback. And what we'd really done is the single channel EEG with the uh, NeuroSky MindWave mobile headset, 
we'd sort of looked at getting people primed, uh, more positively primed, I would say, with the right content, given running innovation workshops for different themes. So really getting them uh, the, the insights uh, awareness and then running curated workshops and measuring their brainwaves to see how uh, creative they are. So with that, we were really looking at the kind of the alpha waves uh, to quite an extent, which is where you've really got creativity thriving a lot more and you're sort of in that relaxed state, which is seven to 14 cycles per second or hertz. And um, then of course, there are other states where you could look at how you could use theta, which is deep meditation or relaxation. So doing the right exercises, getting people into that flow state further. And then of course, you've got even uh, uh, going beyond alpha and beta is the gamma state, which is really where high, you know, sort of higher mental activity, which is perception or intuition, and really that deeper connection to your consciousness is is prevalent. So I'd say there's immense possibilities with neurotech. And this is really what I'm saying is through measurement of, through passive EEG. And we've got another aspect, which is a lot more kind of somewhat invasive or interactive, which is the, um, you know, being able to write rather than just read your brainwaves, which is where neurotech has evolved into something called transcranial stimulation. And there are different formats. There's TDCS, there's TAX, and I've mentored a few startups in that space. So there's we've really been looking at uh, one particular one called NCAP Neuroscience at the Remarkable Accelerator, where we really looked at how do we use cer- to you know look at cerebral palsy, bring back those motor skills, and of course that's what we're really seeing with the uh, Neuralink that Elon Musk has been working on, you know, from so many uh, evolutions that it's been through, it's um, got so much potential. And I think really it's that disability tech space, which is where it becomes very much more meaningful. Um, so yeah, neurotech broadly, and then I'm currently, of course, mentoring a startup in looking at uh, uh, called uh, you know Dream um, uh, Lab, basically, and, and looking at dreams. You know, it's it's how do we manifest dreams? Look at the BCI plus AI, and being able to uh, the Dream Machine, sorry, it's called, and with Peter Zing and my colleagues. So we've really looking at. How do we visualize dreams you know, to make it a very powerful way or read minds, in fact, to that regard? And I think we've seen some very early aspects of that come about with a lot of academic research that has been happening and uh, applications there. Yeah. So, so, so going back to the uh, neurofeedback, so the key, key point here is that this is, gives people a sense of what their state of mind is or what their brainwaves uh, currently doing so to so this becomes part of a training where they can use that to consciously direct their state of mind. Right. So this becomes so, and that becomes a, a you, we need to learn to use these this feedback in order to be able to. It's not sort of instantaneous. Yes, it's a, a skill we need to develop. Which, based on the feedback, we can start to direct our you know our state of mind. Correct. And I think that there are many examples, actually. So I've got a device called Focus Calm, which is from a company called BrainCo that I work closely with, with out of Howard Innovation Labs in um, in the US. We've got um, other products, uh, you know, great Aussie company uh, doing um, emotive, uh, you know, many different products there, multi-channel EEG products. We've got products which can measure fatigue, a company called Life by SmartCap, which can measure driver fatigue and take people off the road if they're uh, if you can look at them in micro sleeps and something you can measure through EEG again, multi-channel EEG, then there are very powerful ways to measure sleep through EEG and a tool there called uh, 
uh, you know, sleep uh, shepherd by Blue Shepherd, which is looking at uh, also got a sleep lab, really looking at how uh, deep sleep, how how you having a different states of sleep, you know, from uh, light sleep to deep sleep and um, of restless states and awake states and so forth. But really seeing and breaking it down much further, and something which even the Aura Ring, for example, that I'm wearing right now, is doing at a very uh, detailed level. So the, I'd say there are many different applications of neurotech, and but you really have to look at what are those tools that can prime it, and another device called FlowTime, which comes with a lot of integrated meditations and views. Of course, has been there for a while. They've uh, been another great product, which can do um, you know curated um, content, uh, and being able to take you through different states of heightened performance or more relaxed states and so forth. So there's integrated meditations and practices which are part of the total package which come with these a lot of these devices. Very quick break to point you to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense making and decision making, including the Humans Plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book Thriving on Overload, the Thoughtweaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. When we look at brain-computer interfaces, I mean, there is a pretty clear line between the invasive and non-invasive. So, of course, your neural links actually sticking, <laughs> sticking things into your brain. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, as you say, can be helpful for disabled people. And maybe one day people will, uh, healthy people will decide it's a, a risk worth taking. But just starting, just in the non-invasive space, I mean, essentially we've got EEG, which has been, it's a very, very old uh, yeah. technology. And so we had, I can remember when I was a, a child, the, the the sort of the neurofeedback device has been advertised, right, right, and uh, and of course we've got uh, the magnetic resonance uh, fMRI and so on, which gives us a lot more data. But we got to stick your head inside a big machine, which is noisy, so that's not a really something you can do a lot of. Right. So, are there any other non-invasive sort of brain reading techniques uh, other than EEG or fMRI that can start to give us more insights into our what's going on in our, our brains? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things happening around uh, near infrared, actually, or infrared uh, scanning around you. And there's a device I've got with me here called Mendy from Sweden, which is a very interesting device, again, helping you being a lot more focused. It's got a lot of gamified um uh, you know, elements in the app integrated, which are helping you with becoming more attentive or getting you into that relaxed state. So I'd say there's a lot of training aspects which are integrated now with uh, devices like that. So yeah, there there are different techniques, and I would say we we are seeing, um, you know, this space especially becoming a lot more prevalent now. Uh, we've in fact got a few. We had a neurotech meetup here in Sydney a couple of weeks ago, and and some startups here already working on similar technologies in that space. One called uh, New Road, um, uh, right here from Sydney University. So, so part of this, you know, this obviously uh, cognition or our thinking or our minds are connected to our bodies, and this this goes to a broader idea of the you know the quantified self. And and I, I suppose quantified means uh, measurable, um, but. Yep. You know, I think there's also qualitative data to a sense. You know, the feedback which comes from EEG uh, is yeah. you know combined into 
you know, a broad indication because, you know, very complex waves. We're not, we're not getting actually numeric data on that, uh, but to, to get a sense of where primary brain states are. So just more broadly, in terms of quantified self, as in getting information about ourselves in order to improve ourselves, you know, what, what are some yeah. of the other exciting uh, areas or possibilities at the moment? Well, I think it's um, we're seeing a lot more holistic packaging of things. So there was a startup actually mentored called um, Wellify, where we created something called the Health Map, and we would really look at your fitness data, your sleep data, your your genetic data, your nutrition, and have a lot of details around medical history, your lifestyle habits. So being able to put that all in a very smart dashboard, and being able to present that, and then being able to take the right actions being able to present the right nudges um, to the person and also being able to visualize. That's something we actually came up with in the startup uh, at Singularity U in Silicon Valley um, at part, as part of the global startup program. And um, it was being, and I think that was very powerful when people saw what you would look like if you didn't take the right actions. It was, um, uh, you know, very much that manifestation that led to, uh, you know, people acting quickly and, and realizing that, yeah, we need to, but I think what we what I'm seeing is really this aspect of of vagal toning, which is what the journey and exploration and the quest we're working on is how do we bring your your head brain, your gut brain, and your heart brain together in a lot more synchronous or um, harmonious way to look at how do we stimulate the vagus nerve, which is you know obviously connected to all our vital organs or the parasympathetic uh, nervous system, and that's where we're seeing once we get that um, you know that healthy vagal tone, as one may call, we were able to regulate so many different things, getting into peaceful mind states, positive moods, healthy pulse rates, blood pressure, um, you know, harmonization, uh, you know, being able to fix your, you know, digestion and so many other uh, issues that we are finding. And I think this is where epigenetics comes in very strongly, where you're able to sort of change with the right actions that you're taking. So if we think, so this is all, you know, is data or inf you know, information about us, which enables us to improve ourselves. But if we think of it as a feedback loop, yeah. you know, the, 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 the link in that loop, which is the weakest, is the, the information changing behavior. And you mentioned this idea of nudges and so on. And, yeah. you know, there are some people who have, you know, for a long time have used quantified self and they've and made enormous changes in who they are. And others get a bunch of data and they don't do anything about it. Mm, so how, how can we improve that flow? I mean, as you say, visualization or nudges, or whatever, what are the ways in which this, this information uh, yeah. about us can actually make a difference in who we are? How do we improve that, that feedback loop? Sure. So I think that's where it's really that translation or how do we transcend that information into valuable knowledge, right? And then that becomes more meaningful and really translates to wisdom and then subsequent action, obviously. But I think until those steps happen in the right way, and that's where AI can really help, I think, that, or that intelligence augmented element, really where we need to be able to use those dashboards, but it's about the UX, really. It's, it's that um, aspect of the user experience, the total experience, or something called I call, I've called the 2P in the mobile world, the total user and product experience, because it's an end-to-end -end aspect. If there's a, you know, a missing link in between, obviously it breaks the system, and then you're right. People sort of only get to that early raw data or information, and they haven't really taken the actions to, to change their world. So it's, it has to flow through very seamlessly 
And I think it's all about hypercontextual and, and deep, uh, you know, hyperpersonalization, as one may say. Um, and how do you deliver that? I think that's really the journey that I sort of help with startups and, and explore and say, optimizing that for the different personas, having the micro segments, really understanding your customer deeply and being able to bring that hyper deep customization for them is critical. Yes. Well, I mean, that's a bit of the two-edged sword of AI, where of uh, AI and behavior change. Right. Because uh, AI does have extraordinary uh, ability or potential to you know, influence us and change behaviors by understanding us and knowing what we respond to. And that can be used for uh, not so good things, uh, yeah. including not just selling us things, but uh, but worse, as well as very positive things, as in nudging us towards uh, positive behaviors. So yep. this is where AI's potential is extraordinary and it's something we do need to be very careful in how we use that and hopefully as much as possible in these kinds of tools. Totally, totally. I think and that's where the mindful AI or when we talk about the wise AI aspect, it's all about bringing, integrating the right ethics, the right environment and the flow to it, right? Because in, in this world, obviously with AI, everything has got bias in its raw data. It's how do we reduce that and make it minimal in the way, in the aspect that we try to approach it for and um, integrate it to a, something, harness it to a, a, the right power that it can exhibit. So so let's let's weave the themes back together and talking about the the broader scope of in, in expanding our consciousness. Right. If we can put it that way with yeah. these technologies. So how how do you see those being interwoven as in you know we do need to be wiser in a uh, very exciting and challenging world today. Uh we do need to expand our our consciousness, our thinking beyond, you know, the, the scope that we're normally used to. And we have technologies to enhance ourselves and hopefully expand our capability. So how, how do these come together? What is, what is your vision for where we, can, uh, where we can pull these together? Sure. So I think this is where this, uh, the previous concept of the blue zones comes in, kind of the secrets that they've exhibited and how I want to take that much further to democratize them but it's those key facets of purposeful living. So sorry, what are the blue zones? The the, the blue zones are where uh, people are living the longest, right? So it's uh, the most centenarians in the world. So there there are five of those around the world which have been documented by Dan um, Butner, who founded them. So there's Okinawa, Japan, there's Ikaria, Greece, there's Loma Linda, California, Sardinia, Italy, and Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. I've been to a couple of them, actually. So I've experienced hands-on what they like and the longevity hotspots that they sort of the and really it's those attributes the fastest that they exhibit which is around having an ikigai or what we t- talk in um, uh, you know the purpose of life or the deep uh, connection that we have uh, rooted sense of purpose right which is what we call MTP in the singularity U or massively transforming purpose or people call it as the big area audacious goals um, but it's really that having that purposeful living having a community and connection, the close-knit community that and family ties, um, which is very critical. Um, as we know, everything is interconnected and there's so much to learn from nature because I think that's when natural intelligence comes in as a very integral part of this. Having the right movement. So people over there, you know, in these areas have been doing a lot of mindful walking, dancing, gardening, things like that. Um, mindful eating is a very key part. So nutrition, plant-based diets, 
eating in moderation, but also it's the total environment, the package, what they, uh, who they surround themselves with, what they do, and what's really in their mind. And I think it's amplifying that that much further, which is where I see how do we democratize them with technology and, and you know, things like Shinrin Yoku or forest bathing, being able to, and this is something like even yesterday I was out there in, in doing a bushwalk, something I call the Exponential Thought Leaders Bushwalk the Talk, which is like an unconference in nature. So I think we need to be able to reconnect back on these levels, back to what our ancient wisdom, like Ayurveda and uh, so many other, you know, uh, learnings have brought us the ways of life to bring back this aspect, what I call the bliss mode, uh, which is really bring that state of harmony for your, uh, you know, coming back to a simple and pure life. But technology is the real enabler. And I think in today's world, we need to be able to sort of merge these worlds together and say, what is it that we need, truly need to do? And we need that diversity. And I think that I love the way you talk about cognitive diversity, you know, and I've sort of applied that a lot in my career in my roles of, of chief, chief innovation officer in um, where we've got transdisciplinary teams, you know, having cross industry and multiple disciplines. So I've had like ethnographers, anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists, um, besides, of course, the techie developers and the, um, the rest of the marketing and the rest of the team in an innovation team in a kind of a disruptive um, setup. And I think that's where you get really that diversity of ideas. And the other aspect is, of course, neurodiversity. We've seen people use things like ADHD and, um, you know, uh, things that they've, you know, obviously can be seen as a negative, but they've actually used that to look at hyper-focus and flip it to a new model. Um, it's, I think it, there's a lot of potential there to see how can we bring in that, that really wider, broader aspect, thinking out of that box, defining what that box is really. So bliss mode sounds very compelling. Uh, so, so how specifically can technology enable us on, uh, on our path to bliss mode? Right. So I'll just give the, uh, the background of bliss mode. I actually came up with that when I presented um, on kind of technology intersecting with spirituality to His Holiness Dalai Lama uh, about 13, 14 years ago now. And um, it was actually, you know, how we've got the aircraft mode on phones and all these different modes. And I said, what if it's not about switching off your phone? which is what people would think and to go back into, you know, into that bliss state, one may say. But I said, it's a, it's a new mode that we flipped to called bliss mode. And that's why we've seen the plethora of wellness apps and so many other tools and the ones that I was describing earlier and the way to able movement and, and uh, the self, the quarter by itself and so forth. But I think that path is really where, how do we imbibe this, the learnings from, um, you know, ancient wisdom and how conscious leadership today, which is all about, the, the mindful approaches that we need to take um, in every aspect, right? Every technology deployment, how it integrates and how it's really being used for the greater good being applied. And I think that's where this fourth term that we're talking about, or sorry, the 18th SDG, the fourth term that I coined called cohortability is that rapid adaptability and bringing that brain-heart coherence um, a lot more uh, relevant for, uh, you know, bringing that um, aspect to manifest that harmonious uh, future that we can so uh, you know devise for our uh, for the planet. That's fantastic. You know, it's, it is this uh, you know, I think critical path where you know we have technologies to amplify us, not just in very pragmatic ways as productivity, but also in terms of uh, you know what we do need to be doing is thinking 
bigger to the scope of the universe, hopefully, uh, and broaden our consciousness. So, what's um, so? How can people find out more about your work, Anuraj? Oh, sure. Well, so we've got for Wise Mirror. We have a website, uh, wisemirror.org. Um, it's still fairly basic. So, but we do have a lot of content of ours now being published on YouTube. So, there's a Wise Mirror YouTube channel. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, which is where I'm mostly on in social media. I don't really use too many other ones. <laughs> I tend to be doing more uh, time in nature and I would say um, believe in the Jomo part, <laughs> you know, the joy of missing out in some of those things. But uh, I think it's important to find the mix, right, uh, in, in our world. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, so it's it's probably more LinkedIn and and uh, uh, and, and the other channels and Wisemira uh, website and as it means to, to reach out. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your insights, uh, Anuraj. It's been a, it's been a wonderful uh, conversation. Likewise, Ross. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com, where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review. And subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.